Oh God, so speak through my words that your words may be heard, and being heard may be believed, and being believed may be lived. Amen. My name is Beth. I come from Ohio. My favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip. I am a child of God, and I ask you to pray for my becoming. This was the opening of every first small group session of every youth ministry conference during my junior high years in the Diocese of Ohio. My name is Beth. I come more specifically from Cleveland Heights and Berea, Ohio. Here is a moderately interesting, forgettable, but easy to answer factoid about me. I am a child of God, and I ask you to pray for my becoming. And no, we didn't really have much idea what that last part was supposed to mean. It was sort of a running joke, actually, that we sort of kind of intuited, but didn't really know and certainly couldn't say what that was supposed to mean, that I ask you to pray for my becoming. But we said it every time anyway, because it was the way we had always done it. When a new youth missioner came after my ninth grade year, we stopped doing it that way because none of us could say what it meant. And really nobody knew was ever particularly well welcomed by a confusion that other people sort of seem to understand but nobody can explain to you. And so we moved on. But as I've grown older, I find that this notion of becoming has sort of stuck in me. And as we contemplate this pair of prayers this morning, the prayer of a young King Solomon and a young Mary, I want to suggest that they offer us a question in common. Who are you becoming by the yeses you give? Who are you becoming by the yeses you give? This very famous song of Mary's doesn't actually come until she makes the journey to visit her cousin Elizabeth after the angel has appeared to announce to her that she will give birth to a child. And yet the story does sort of present the angel's visit to Mary and Mary's visit to Elizabeth to process it as part of the same thing. Mary gets big news, news that will turn not only the world in general on its head, but her world specifically. And she says yes to it. It is a yes that has the daring and confidence and hope of youth. It is a big yes, a famous yes, probably a hard yes. And yet, I'm not sure that it is her hardest yes. Now, how I learned to pray to Mary despite my very Protestant beginnings is another story for another day. But the first year that I did so, I experienced Holy Week in particular as never before. I felt Mary's pain as her son was taken from the cross and placed in her arms. I felt Mary's joy and astonishment as her son was returned to her on Easter Day. And in it, I also discovered something else. I discovered the source of her strength in those moments, that the courage to say yes to the very hardest thing that a mother can be asked to witness was rooted in the courage to say yes 
to the life that at the Annunciation asks her for a home. I learned how each small yes teaches us the resolve and the openness to say yes to the next slightly bigger thing. I learned that Mary's yes to the angel who brought news of her pregnancy was already somehow the yes of a young woman who must have learned that saying yes to God is messy and complicated and 100% worth it, and at the same time was only the beginning. Solomon, on the other hand, gets the chance to do the asking. He asks for wisdom. He gets wisdom. And he also gets told, this is what wisdom looks like. This is what wisdom does. And we are meant to know that he understands what he's being told about what wisdom looks like, because it's from him or his tradition that we get the Proverbs readings that personify wisdom and tell us what she is like. We'll hear some of those in upcoming weeks. We know that he knows that God's yes to him in granting him wisdom should bring him to say yes to God in return. And yet, though early in his life he often does say yes to God, as he goes through his life, it is not his yeses to God that increase, but his early yeses to worshiping at the high places, outside Jerusalem, the places associated with sacrifices to other gods. He says yes to foreign ways more and more often, and yes to God's ways less and less often. And so even though he is regarded as a good ruler for his people, God eventually says that his sons will lose the throne because the family has turned away from God and worshipped other gods instead. He had the wisdom to judge between good and evil, and he chose to turn away from the good anyway until finally he had turned away from God. The pattern by which our little yeses lead to bigger yeses cuts both ways, for good and for ill. We perhaps can recognize some of these yeses like Solomon's. We see them in Hamilton when Alexander's affair with Mariah Reynolds starts with one yes that should have been a no, and then two yeses that should have been no's, and then three until finally it's a long-term affair that torpedoes his political career and hurts his family. We see it in athletes who try doping once and once more, and then as a pattern. We see it in colleagues or bosses or employees who perhaps are beloved for their interpersonal relationships and then turn out to be stealing from the company, usually starting with just a little, and then a little more, and then by habit. We see it in news story after news story of people who abuse the trust of their office, who say, I don't know, it just happened. Or whose family and friends say, I don't understand how this happened. Most of the time, this is how. With a yes that the person knew should have been a no, that leads to another yes, that should have been a no, and another yes that feels like a trap until they become a person who says yes to things that should be unimaginable. If we are honest, at one level or another, at one time or another, we probably know yeses like that in our own lives and in our own selves as well, the yeses that we knew should have been a no. 
More happily, if perhaps less immediately obvious on the news, the complicated, heartbreaking yeses of Solomon are not the only ones that are recognizable in our lives and in our world. We have examples also of the yes that Mary gives. Those are the yeses that we see in figures like Jonathan Daniels, the white Episcopal seminarian whose feast day is the day before Mary's on our calendar, who while sitting in his seminary chapel felt drawn to go to Alabama and answer Dr. King's call for students to join their movement and said yes to that who then returned to seminary shortly after that and said yes again when he felt compelled to return to the movement for the longer term, who must have said innumerable other yeses to God before the white shop owner pointed a shotgun at Jonathan's young black friend, whom he then pushed aside and took the bullet in her place. There are the yeses of Malala Yousafzai standing up to the Taliban and becoming a global voice for education and rights for girls. They are the yeses of Bree Newsom climbing the flagpole of the South Carolina State House to tear down the Confederate flag in the name of a liberating God. And they are the yeses of the smaller moments of our lives as well. All the moments when we manage to say no to our own arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations and yes to filling the hungry with good things and lifting up the lowly. The choices to jump in front of a bullet or stand up to the Taliban or the choice to tear down the Confederate flag from state property may seem in some ways like very different kinds of choices and may in fact seem like very different kinds of choices than anything we could imagine ourselves doing. But in the end, all three are outcomes these, individual, these individuals were led to by a lifetime of a certain kind of yes. The kind of yes that enables a person to make the decision, even in a split second, to risk something real for others. American Christian culture offers us an alluring thing. Say yes to Jesus Christ this once and be forever saved. Say yes in this moment and call Jesus your Lord and Savior and you will be among the elect. There is probably some grain of truth in that, but overall, I do not believe this is the witness of Scripture. From Eve to Noah to Rahab to Solomon to Mary to Jesus to Peter to Paul, there is not a life in Scripture that is transformed by a single yes, unaccompanied by ongoing transformation. The saints of scripture, the saints of history, the saints of today, are those who make a practice of holy yes. I think it is unlikely that anyone in this room will ever be faced with the specific task of ruling an entire nation, nor the task of literally giving birth to God incarnate. And yet, I suspect most of us have moments of some sort, like the ones that Mary and Solomon are responding to in these prayers today. Moments, perhaps, when we look at the enormity of what's being asked of us, and we wonder why we have been judged equal to this task. For me, the night before my ordination comes to mind as such a moment, or the first summer I worked at camp when they were so understaffed that 
A 19-year-old who had never been a counselor was tapped to plan and lead the counselor in training program. I'm told that this is also a common experience for people becoming parents of any child, not just a divine one. Or perhaps the moment is a moment when we simply look at the world around us and see that it is not as it should be. And we wonder what we can possibly do about it. In those moments, God rarely offers us a quick fix. But God does offer us a conversation, a conversation unique to us and to our moment. And yet, in the tradition of Solomon's and Mary's, just as they stand in a long scriptural tradition of dreamers and wonderers and yes-sayers. When we ask for wisdom, God says yes to us as well. And yet, as Paul says elsewhere, even the foolishness of God is so much wiser than human wisdom that we may have trouble trusting it or even recognizing it. God offers us wisdom, but it takes some practice in listening and in saying yes to God in small, maybe more obvious ways, to be able to trust, as Mary did, the wisdom of saying yes to God when God asks something totally unlikely and ridiculous. The wisdom of saying yes to having our worlds turned irrevocably upside down. My early teachers in the discernment process for ordination warned me that discernment would not be a one-time thing, that it would be the work of a lifetime. And yet for me at 19, I think I expected somehow that the lifelong work of discernment would get easier, perhaps, or more commonplace, or less gut-wrenching, less likely to turn life upside down. And now for those of you who perhaps are in the most intensive parts of life of this becoming, the teens, the 20s, I want to say that's not to say that it doesn't also get better or easier because it does that too. This work of becoming, as one ages, one hopefully gets a deepening sense of who one is, and one gets a little more used to the patterns by which God works. And also, and my elders can correct me, but so far what I have found and what I have heard from my other elders is this, that there is always still a sense that we are not fully what we one day hope to be. That there is always still more becoming to say yes to. We do not become in a single moment, in a single day, in a single year. It takes a lifetime. A lifetime to become what Solomon became. A lifetime to become what Mary became. I suspect it even took Jesus a his lifetime to become what he finally became. A lifetime of choosing our yeses over and over and over again. Becoming something new remains hard and holy and active work. And so, my fellow children of God, I ask you after all, pray for my becoming, and I will pray for yours. Amen. Amen.